over. Good to see you. Hello to our Bel Air campus and Edgewood campus and everybody, wherever you're at. Uh, if you're new with us, special welcome to you. Uh, glad you're here. You're in the right place. And I know, you know that feeling when you walk into a room and you're, it's clearly you stepped into the middle of something. It could be laughter, you know, you missed the funny story. Or it could be tension, like also you know something's going on here. Or maybe everybody's planning and organizing a lot of energy around this thing, but you don't know what anyone's talking about because you weren't there when the idea was hatched. Well, it can start to feel like that if you're just showing up you might feel like, boy, something's going on around here. And it's true, something is going on. And there's the shirts, and there's the theme and energy, and there's the booth outside with the burgundy-colored things at This is burgundy, right? Or something maroon or whatever it is. Well, all of that's here. And it, so it's marking the beginning of this new season in the life of our church, a two-year initiative in which we're hoping that God will let loose more prayer, more service, more generosity, more love, more of all the good stuff that, uh, that God has to give, that he would unleash that in us and through us. It's called Unleash, unleash Love, uh, so that's why you're uh, seeing what you're seeing. Uh, the booklet, of course, has, has been produced. If you don't have one of these, you make sure and get one. It's got some things that you can do individually every day. Scriptures to read and some reflections there, and it can also be used collaboratively in a group to uh, let some things be planted more deeply and to call out a response to how God is working in us. So pick one of these up. They're available at the booth with the burgundy colored things. All right. And there's a website, unleashlovemcc.org. It paints a picture. It answers questions. It provides some resources. It's also a place where uh, coming this week, you'll be able to sign up for Advanced Commitment Night. That's on November 4th. It's going to be down at Community Christian Church in White Marsh. And I think a night of inspiring worship and really a climactic moment for anyone who's ready to unleash love. Again, more information will be online and you can sign up for that uh, this coming week. Register. Spots are limited there, so you need, do need to advance register. Okay, last week Ben tried to give an account for why all of this was going on. Why? Why would we do it? Why would we go to the effort and the energy? Why are we rallying together and trying to um, see how we could put God's love into action? And the answer, in a nutshell, is because Christ's love compels us. That's the why. God's love is motivating everything that we're doing. As if caught in a raging river of God's love. We're just people who are trying to go with the flow. That's the why. Today is going to be a little bit more about the what. Uh, what, what are we doing? We've uh, grabbed that scripture from 1 Thessalonians which says, May the Lord pour on the love so that it fills our lives and then splashes over onto everyone around you. So what will it look like when that love spills all over the place? When God's love is unleashed, what kind of impact will it have? What, what is this thing that we're doing exactly? I think it's good to mention here because um, some of us have never been a part of a church that does a thing like what we're doing now. And so that question, like, what is this thing that you're doing? It's a, it's a real question. Well, let me say it like this. We, uh, we, we make an ongoing effort to discern what is God calling us 
to? How does he want to use us for his mission? How does he want to get the most out of us? We're always trying to understand that. And that leads us to some places of clarity where there is this collective sense of, yes, I think this is how God is calling us in this moment. Now, the mission never changes, but it does take a different shape as the church encounters new realities and new opportunities and new challenges. And so, by God's grace, every few years we're able to get to a place where it's, we're able to say, it seems like this is the thrust of how God is leading us in this moment, in, in this season. And then there's booklets and t-shirts and websites that all give expression to that. Uh, probably helpful to note, the last time that we did a thing that's like the thing that we're doing now, one of those points of clarity was it's time to invest more deeply in Edgewood. And Edgewood campus, epicenter, was born. That's where I spend most of my time. And it's where 180 kids were in summer camp and a bunch more in after-school programs every day. And 500 people are worshiping right now. And 10 students were baptized this summer and this fall because we did the thing. The last time we did a thing that's like the thing that we're doing now, one of those things that was clear was we need to invest in technology that will really equip us and support a growing multi-campus strategy. And a lot of people don't even know it. It took some time, but we have made some upgrades in a recent season that now prepare us with, with this thing that we're doing to launch more campuses, and including even an online campus, which we're going to be hearing more about as we go along. And it's not just what happens on a broad scale. Uh, the last time we did a thing, it's like the thing that we're doing now. My friend Kirk Bolin at the Bel Air campus was prompted with him and his wife Amanda to open their heart and their home and adopt a child. That was a point of, of personal clarity about how God was shaping their story in that season, and they made that commitment. And thousands of other people at Mountain made similar kinds of commitments uh, at that time. So that's, that's just kind of a little bit about how we roll, all right, and what it is we're doing with this Thing that we're doing. All right? All right, all right, all right. What are we doing? Oh, it's, it's time for a joke that I found on the internet. All right? Uh, so uh, there was a Department of Water Resources representative in Texas, and he was out uh, doing his job. He came upon, upon this old rancher, and he said to him, I need to inspect your ranch for your water allocation. And the old rancher just said, okay, well, but just don't go in that field over there. And the water rep was kind of taken back by this. said, I come with the authority of the federal government. Do you, do you see this card? This card gives me the right to go onto any agricultural land that I want to. No questions asked or answered. Do, do you see this? Are we clear on what this means? The old rancher said, it's fine. And he just went back to doing his chores. Well, a little while later, he hears some screams coming from that field. Over there, he looks up and he sees that water rep running for his life. The rancher's bull is close behind him. The bull's gaining with every step. The water rep is clearly terrified. And so the rancher throws down his tools. He runs over to the fence and he yells, Your card! Show him your card! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't make that up, but that was good. <laughs> There's no doubt about who had authority in that field, is there? And a similar thing is true, uh, maybe a little less funny, but still true, when you open up the New Testament and you observe the life of Jesus. Okay? Jesus taught as someone who had authority. He acted as someone who had authority. Now, not everybody was convinced along the way, but his ultimate claim came after he was crucified as a criminal, death flaunting its car, documenting its authority over him. Jesus said, no, 
And he chased death right up out of that grave. The New Testament tells that story. We sang about that truth in, in that song, Death Was Arrested. Well, uh, pick up that story right at, right at that point. If you've got a Bible, take it out. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Matthew's last, or excuse me, the first book of the New Testament. The last chapter is Matthew 28. And then maybe flip over to, put a finger in Acts chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 1. Each of those places records a similar story uh, from Jesus, a similar word. Matthew 28, it's after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And he gathers all of his followers together and he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. There's no doubt about who has authority in this field. And, and how big is the field? It is the entire heavens and the earth. includes all nations. And Jesus is saying then, therefore, I want you to go out into this field on a mission. Make disciples, baptize, and teach, and I'm with you the whole way. And he says a very similar thing, reinforces that on another occasion. It's recorded in Acts. Again, he's with his disciples. It's after his resurrection. And after uh, several times saying to them, look, it's me. I'm alive. He says, get, get ready. Uh, God is going to give you the gift of his spirit. And then he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right here where we're at. And then there in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And then the rest of Acts goes on to record how the church took those instructions and, and lived out that calling. So a couple things. Number one, if you are going to say yes to Jesus, you've got to listen to Jesus. If you're going to be someone who says, yeah, I want to be a Jesus follower, then you, you take your cues from Jesus. In light of his authority, you live your life according to his instructions. And second, because of how he instructs his followers here, ever since the church began, it has had to take seriously Jesus' calling to be a witness here, there, and everywhere. Jesus says, my authority extends over the whole field, and so does my mission. So you start right now and represent me here in this place. And then you cross borders and represent me there in that place. In fact, don't let any border stop you from unleashing my love here, there, and everywhere. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? That's what Jesus wants to know. Can I, can I get a witness in each and every place over which I have authority and in which my mission extends? My love has been unleashed here. My love has been unleashed there and, and everywhere. It's a love that breaks the bounds of every human construct. It's only human to draw boundaries around those who are lovable, those who are deserving of love, and those who are not. Whether that's based on their religious practice or how well behaved they are, their political affiliation, their geographical location, their nationality, their ethnicity, their personality, their color or creed or culture or class. Jesus says, my love is not a respecter of any of those things, but is unleashed freely for all. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness here? Can I get a witness there? Can I get a witness everywhere? In every era, the church, God's people, those who have said yes to Jesus, have had to take seriously Jesus here, there, and everywhere calling to unleash love. I think it does us well to remember that we are the results of someone else's everywhere 
calling. The book that describes Samuel Rogers took to heart Jesus' calling to unleash love everywhere, rode on horseback from Kentucky to rally some Marylanders around Jesus. James McVeigh also took seriously that calling, also rode on horseback from Kentucky to start the beginning of what would become Mountain Christian Church in 1824. All of us are the results of someone else's everywhere. Some of us are the results of other people's here, of other people's investment here in this place where God has put us. We grew up in this church. Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and youth sponsors mentored us, and people gave money so that we could go on trips and encounter God, and people cared for us when we were in the hospital, and people here instilled in us that we, we could give the best that we have, and it could be used for God's kingdom. We're the product of someone else's investment right here. Others of us are the product of someone else's there. Someone from here went out there on purpose to launch a campus, to invite us to be a part of the community right here. We're here because someone went out there as Christ's witness. This church has a track record of fulfilling Jesus' instructions. Which reminds me, we, uh, we introduced an image in the small group study this week that didn't really work very well in my group. Uh, does anyone remember what it was? What was the image, the metaphor that was used in the small group teaching? Yeah, an elephant chained up, right? So it goes like this. You're led to think, boy, it'd be really hard to like chain up and contain an elephant because they're really strong, right? You must need like a really thick chain. Huh? Well, actually, no. If you can start when the elephant's very young, just a light duty chain or a rope and you, you fasten that around their leg and just, you know, tap it into the ground on the other end with a peg or something. Uh, it's strong enough to hold a baby elephant and that baby elephant will kind of, as it tests that chain or rope, it gets to the end of that thing and it just realizes, oh, that's the end of the leash. I can't go any further. And that idea stays planted in them even after they grow into this hulking beast. So even after they're full size, that same light duty rope or chain fastened around their leg tells them, oh, I can't go any further when I get to the end of this leash. So with all of that potential, all of that strength and power, strongest land mammal on the face of the earth can uproot trees with its trunk just held in check by a tiny little rope or chain. And the question then was posed to our group, how have you seen the church act like a chained elephant in the way that they've just been thinking too small or not living up to their potential? And the guys in my group had trouble answering that question because they were thinking about this church. And so their first instinct was to say, well, I don't know, it doesn't seem like that exactly. seems like we don't. We're not thinking small, we're out there. God's power is, is at work and we're making an impact. And you know, I, I couldn't really argue with that. Now, I know there is more for us and I, I think we're, we're sensing that there is more for us. And we know that we always have to guard against that common ten- temptation to just gear down, rest on our laurels. But I was in that moment filled with gratitude that I get to be part of a church that does things like the thing that we're doing now and takes seriously Jesus' instruction. But here's what our group also found to be true. That when you uh, think about that image personally, it works. It plays. We could all think of ways that that we've thought small, where we have not uh, lived up to our potential individually. We've been like a chained elephant. God could use us in mighty ways, but 
something, fear was holding us back. Fear of what it would mean if we were truly unleashed. Or some bad past experiences are making us hesitant to really put ourselves out there. Our desire for control keeps us limited to, well, what we think we can control. The inability to predict the outcomes of a faith that was truly let loose, uh, that just keeps us bound to what's familiar. Or we're shackled with sin, or doubt, or guilt, and we, we feel that resistance, and we just assume, well, we can never break that. It's held us for too long. What do you think? Does that image connect with you? Can you think of ways that you have been or are like a chained elephant? Are you, are you thinking small about how God could really use you in his mission? Are you being held back because, well, you're afraid? Uh, you're, uh, you're, you're thinking how it would mean a loss of control or it would mean a loss of comfort if you were to truly trust God and unleash your time, your money, your decisions. Are you refusing to recognize your potential because you're too young? Or you're too old? Are you too ashamed? Whether or not you've seen a group or a team or a church thinking small and held back, how have you been held back? How are you like a chained elephant? As you think about that, listen to someone from our church community who wouldn't in any way say that they've got it all figured out, but their life has been marked by some learning. and They have learned to take some chances and to engage deeply with Jesus' mission. Listen to this story. One day I was in service and it occurred to me that I kind of had two paths. I was going through this time in my life where it was very uncertain. I was going through a divorce and I had a lot of feelings of, of regret and confusion and despair that I, I'd never experienced before and I didn't know what to do with. And at the same time, I was getting more and more into serving at Mountain. And so what I kind of saw ahead of me was that I could either kind of give into these, these feelings, these darker feelings, or I could turn the other way and I could take the, the hands that were being reached out to me from these friends I'd made through service and I could let them hold me up. I chose to embrace those people who I met through church and as a result of what they were pouring into my lives, as a result of the extra hugs I got in the commons and the, the long conversations that I had with some of them, I was able to make it through that time and to come out the other side stronger in my faith and with a stronger sense of community in the church. My name's Chris Bansells. I've been coming to Mountain for about 17 years now. I first came to Mountain um, when I was in college because I was following a girl through the doors and I wasn't really looking for God, but God found me here. And I was struck, I think like so many people are, by how welcoming the place was from the door through into the sanctuary to what was said in the pulpit. And I didn't have to be any, in any particular place of my faith walk um, to be able to be there. God's used Mountain to influence my life in a lot of ways. Um, and a big one came not long after my son was born, because in the months right after he was born, two of my grandparents who I was close with died and my dad's best friend killed himself. Um, and that was all within a six week span. And at the same time, some things at work started going really sour 
where work had always been very stable and, and steady for me. Being, I guess maybe it's just my natural tendencies as a guy, I wanted to fix things, you know, but you can't fix death. And so I started to serve. And through the people that I met in those ministries, this group gathered around me of people that I became friends with and became close with, and they kind of helped me get through those hard times. And I don't know that I would have found them had I not started to serve. And it also felt like when I was serving, it felt like I was, like I was doing something against the darkness in my life. I couldn't change the situations that I was in or, or the deaths that I had to go through and had to grieve through. But by serving, I was making things a little bit better for other people. I was opening up a way to God for other people and I felt like I was contributing to the mission. One of the coolest things that I get to see being a part of the worship team is I get to see the whole church worship. Being backstage and you know, if I have my hands in the right place at the right time and I hit the right buttons, it helps people worship and helps people get closer to God that way. That's such a cool feeling for me that I want other people to experience it too and I would love for people to get more into service wherever they are so they can find that peace in their faith walk as well. I was with tithing, I was always kind of back and forth. I kept going back to that idea that God said, test me. So I did. What I've learned about generosity is that it is a constant renewal of trust in God. That fear, that little bit of fear that I think everybody feels when they start to even think about tithing sometimes, about you know, what, what else could I be doing with that money? But it's a constant turning over of trust and putting my trust back in God. And I think one of the benefits of that, even though it's scary sometimes, is that I feel like I renew my faith every time. When you put yourself out there, when you put your money out there, you're going to see a payoff. When you see the ministries grow, when you see that person in the comments that you talked to last week or two weeks ago, and now you can have a different kind of connection with them, that feeling is amazing. Knowing that I helped the mission a little bit because I could serve, or knowing that I helped a particular person start serving and then now they're on a, a different path on their spiritual walk. It is, it is an awesome, awesome feeling. And it always upfront, it always scares me to reach out to those people because that's not my natural inclination. But when I trust God and I put out my hand, whether it's for a handshake or to hand money towards the church or towards his mission, I, I don't regret it. I never, ever regret it. Appreciate that from Chris. Um, here's what we're saying with this thing that we're doing. If, if all of us um, could break free from our fears and hesitations, if we could, in similar ways that Chris had, give our part individually, then collectively we could unleash love here, there, and everywhere and do some incredible things together. If all of the individuals who have witnessed Christ's love found tangible ways to express that love, then collectively we could 
unleash that love here, there, and everywhere in, in ways that would be more powerful than an elephant on the loose. We could live up to Jesus' calling. We could live out our purpose in this time and this place, just like those who have gone before us. The book that is trying to paint a picture of what that could look like if we did that. And just to go through some of it, I'm on page 8 and 9 if you have it and you want to take it out and look through it. When you start reading there, you'll notice one of the things that it's not shy about saying is, God's got some good stuff going here. There's some good things happening here. We need to continue that rolling forward. Uh, there's a lot of examples you could point to. I think just recently, th- last weekend, 300, over 300 students were on the fall retreat. God's up to something. I know a number of those students, they come and play basketball. Let's clap for that. You want to clap? She wants to clap for that, so we can do that. <laughs> um, those students, some of them play basketball on my cul-de-sac every Wednesday night. Uh, my good friend and neighbor Chris leads a small group there. And Justin and Mike and Dennis all help uh, pour in, act as a witness there in that place for those students. I just go over there to steal free pizza. And you walk in the house, the whole thing smells like a high school locker room. It's beautiful. And <laughs> speaking of... Some of those students then have taken that calling to be a witness in the place where they are at their high school and with other mountain students are partnering together to lead the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. 120 kids at Edgewood High School are showing up because of their leadership. We've got to have more of that. We've got to unleash more of that. When this book says we've got a resource ministry right here, it means we've got to let those kinds of things loose. We can't not have more people uh, share their love and insight and time with our students. We can't not have people give so that more students can go on trips and retreats and encounter Jesus and understand their place in God's mission. We can't not have our church praying their guts out for the next generation growing up in our community. We've got to unleash more of that here. When you think about our Mountain Kids ministry, we've talked in recent weeks about how that's grown 20% in the last year. I know a lot of those kids. A lot of them are in my family, actually. Uh, the number of kids around my dinner table has grown by 67% in the last year, um, doing my part. No, but seriously, I'm thinking of one kid, and there are many like him. You'd say he's a challenge, he's a handful. But I love having him around. I love that he's here. He's in the right place, and he would have no opportunity whatsoever to know Christ's love. He would not understand God's story or his place in it or know how God has designed him if it weren't for the things that we plan and execute every week, every Saturday and Sunday at Mountain. We've got to have more of that. We've got to unleash anything that would slow that down. That's part of our witness here. So when we talk in the book about the environments that we create to welcome kids and to bear witness to Christ's love, well, yeah, we've got to invest in that. Or when we consider the uh, unglamorous realities of a septic system on our Mountain Road campus that is tapped out, it is insufficient to support any further growth of ministry. So we, we can't be okay with that. We have got to unleash or you know, take the lid off. No, not that. Uh, we've got we've to lift the floodgates. No, no, I don't know what the metaphor is. We've got to do something about that, right? Samuel Rogers and James McVeigh, they didn't have that challenge when they were living out Jesus' calling. We do. So we've got to deal with it. Will we? Will you do your part in this time so that Christ's love cannot be unleashed here, there, and everywhere? Let's look out there for a moment. You take 30 people in our community. Uh, you know 30 people. You've probably got 30 people that live right close to you on your street or in your building. 30 people in your classroom. 
26 of them are not going to church this weekend. Now, you can say, sure, some of them are sick or they're out of town. and Okay, but even if half the people who are part of a church don't show up for church on a given weekend, that's still only eight out of every 30 people that have any kind of meaningful connection to Jesus or to his church or understanding of God's mission or possession of the hope and joy and real life that Christ has to offer. We can't not launch more campuses. We, we can't not plant more churches. The numbers are even more stark in Baltimore City. We can't not do something to have an online presence that bears witness to the love and truth and beauty of Christ everywhere the internet will reach. We have got to unleash that. We've got to get rid of any barriers that would stand in the way of that. Financial limitations have to be removed. Human capital has to be unleashed. People who are ready to, to, to go and pray and serve and lead there. Who will go for us, the Lord said to Isaiah in the Old Testament. Can I get a witness, Jesus said to his church in the New Testament. Who is ready to unleash love? One of the things that encourages me most is uh, the mountain people who have considered those questions. And it has led them to go... Be a witness in the everywhere parts of the world. Did you know that right now, we have, uh, there's 21 mountain people, grew up here, nurtured by this church, who have gone out or, or are just about ready to go into a different place, different culture, to be a witness for Christ. A lot of us sponsor kids globally. A lot of us concentrate in Kenya and India and Ecuador. And I think probably we do that. There's a strong one-to-one connection that you get when you do that, and you see the the individual impact that you're making, the uh, education and the health care and the nutrition, the gospel planted in that child, and you get to see their growth and development. But when you step back and you see a bunch of individual commitments stacked up in one place, the collective impact that that can have, it's staggering. Consider Kenya, for example. That's a place we've sent the Gerbers there, Kylie Cassins is over there, the Currens are over there, hundreds of people have gone on short-term trips over to Kenya. We have watched something that started 16 years ago with 50 students in one school now grow to over 13,000 students in 16 different centers all over the Mathari Valley and Kenya. And there's churches growing, and there's healthcare clinics being built, and there's microfinance loans being given to people to start businesses and grow in this, what by all accounts, a downtrodden area. That's got to continue. And through Unleashed Love, it will continue as we invest further and provide for the expansion of those opportunities for children. There's, there's one little sentence in this book on page 9 about uh, something that, that we're doing in a restricted access country in Southeast Asia. Can't even say the name of the country because it's restricted access. The law of the land doesn't allow to just say, oh, I'm going to go start a church. But we've already had people over there on several trips, uh, making relationships, learning the context, and developing a strategy for disciple-making movement in that place, a restricted access country that doesn't even know that God's love is about to be unleashed there So that someday, someone, whether they recognize it or not, they will be a product of our fulfilling Jesus' calling to be a witness everywhere. Will you make that happen? Will you do your part with however much or however little God has given you to help uh, unleash God's love in a place that desperately needs it? When we do a thing like the thing that we're doing now, one of one of the things we realize is it takes all of us. This is a collective thing that, of course, has individual implications. Each one of us does our part. And you probably sensed already, um, 
the calling to be Christ's witness here, there, and everywhere. It includes our, the financial realm, our finances, giving the best of what we got to God with our time, our talent, our treasure. There's uh, commitment cards. We've given these out. We'll be giving them out again in a couple weeks. It's designed to help us think through uh, the financial aspect of this. Um, that's probably the area where we're most likely to be tethered, isn't it? The area where we're most likely to want to hold on to control. But what if it were unleashed? What if we were unleashed, not just with our treasure, but with our faith and our prayers and our service and our creativity and courage and telling God's story and being a witness and letting Christ's love flow through us? What could we do together when we do a thing that's like the thing that we're doing now? It invites us to dream about that. If each of us who have said yes to Jesus responded to how Jesus is calling us in this moment, whether that's through behind-the-scenes serving or generous giving, humble leading, brave going, uncommon caring, faithful praying, if each of us responded in whatever way Christ is calling us individually, then the collective impact that we could make here, there, and everywhere, it would be more powerful than an elephant on the loose. May God unleash anything that would stand in the way of that. Let's pray. God, thank you for including us in your story, uh, your mission that has unfolded over years and centuries and crossing borders uh, to uh, involve us. We are recipients of your love, and we just want to be faithful in uh, letting that love flow through us. In every place that you call us, Help us to dream, help us to catch a vision for how you're shaping us individually, and then let us find joy and celebration in the collective impact that we'll make as we all are faithful to you. Unleash your love here, there, and everywhere. Use us as your church in the world that you love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.